السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمد و نسلی علی رسول کریم اما بعد فعود بلّہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم ربش رحلی صدری و یسلی امری وحل السانی یفقہ قولی رب نازدنا علما A question was asked concerning tayammum that if a person has just enough water to do wudu but he needs to take ghusl and the water is not sufficient for ghusl so what should he do? Should he do wudu and tayammum or should he do only tayammum? What's the answer? He should do only tayammum. Why? Because if he does wudu with that water can he actually pray with that wudu? No. What does he need in order to pray? Ghusl. And how should a person do ghusl? By taking a bath, by pouring water on himself. But if that water is not there, then what's the other option? Tayammum. So in this case, wudu will not be done. Rather only tayammum will be sufficient inshallah. The evidence was exactly what we learned earlier, in which some of the scholars, the companions especially, they said that if we allow people, meaning if we tell them to do it, then on the slightest reason, what will they do? They will leave ghusl and they will do tayammum instead. And which is why when the verse of the Qur'an was mentioned, they didn't say anything. Okay, because obviously in the Qur'an it is clear. In the sunnah it is also clear. However, they didn't want this knowledge to become common knowledge. Why? Because people would misunderstand it and not use it appropriately. Because the thing is that you have to understand these things. You have to have a certain level of understanding. And the common people do not have that level of understanding. So which is why if a common person would come and ask, can I do taimum instead of ghusl? They would say, no, you cannot. But for us, what do we need to know? At the end of the day, what's important for us to know? That you can do it where there is a need. Which is why the majority of the scholars and the vuqaha, as well as the sahaba, their opinion was that you can do taimum instead of ghusl. Okay, a'udhu billahi min ash-shaytani rajim bismillahi rahman rahim Kitab al-Salah, the book of prayer. Before the book of prayer, which kutub did we learn? Right before it was tayammum, before that was? Hayd, before that was? Ghusl, and before that was? Wudu. Alright? And this shows to us, basically, the sequence, the order in which the kutub have been arranged, this shows that whatever we have learned so far concerning tahara, that is all to do with salah. So basically you have to know about wudu, you have to know about ghusl, about hayd, about tayammum, in order to perform salah correctly, in order to perform salah properly. So it is basically because of salah that all of the previous kutub were mentioned. Okay, Because first tahara and then salah. And salah is the most afdal rukun of Islam, meaning it is the most important, the most superior Pillar of Islam after shahadatain. After a person declares, I believe in Allah alone as the God, ashadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashadu anna Muhammad rasulullah. Then after that, what is the most important rukun of Islam? The most important pillar of Islam? Salah. So much so that if a person leaves it, then it is equivalent to what? It is equivalent to kufr. And the meaning of salah, what does salah mean? Ad-du'a lil-rahmah. It is to pray for mercy. This is the literal meaning of the word. And the technical meaning of the word salah in our deen, what does the term salah mean? It is to worship Allah by means of certain known and prescribed sayings and actions at specified times. 
I'll repeat it. It is to worship Allah. How? By means of what? Certain known and prescribed. Known and prescribed what? Sayings and actions. When? At specified times. This is what salah is technically. Bab, كَيْفَ فُرِضَتِ الصَّلَاةُ فِي الْإِسْرَاءِ How the prayer was made obligatory during the night journey. During the journey of Isra. The text of the Quran and Sunnah, they clarify to us the love that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has for salah. Allah loves this act of worship. So much so, that when a person is worshipping Allah through salah and he recites Suratul Fatiha, then what happens? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds. When a person is in sajda, then what happens? He is closest in his position to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I mean, that's the closest position that a person can be into Allah. When a person rises from rukur, he says, سَمِعَ اللَّهُ لِمَنْ حَمِيدًا So it is the most, you can say, one of the most beloved acts of worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So much so that when a person performs five prayers, Allah multiplies the reward and rewards a person for how many prayers? Fifty prayers. Imagine. That's like the reward is multiplied how many times? Ten times. So salah is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves. And if you think about it, all of the commands that Allah revealed, He sent them down. But when it comes to salah, He made the Prophet ﷺ come up in order to receive the hukum. And inshallah we'll discuss the wisdom behind that later. So كَيْفَ فُرِضَتِ الصَّلَاةُ فِي الْإِسْرَاءِ How was salah made mandatory in during the night journey? وَقَالَ ابْنُ عَبَّاسٍ And Ibn Abbas he said, حَدَّثَنِي أَبُو سُفْيَانَ أَبُو سُفْيَانَ narrated to me فِي حَدِيثِ هِرَقْلَ In the hadith of Hiraql فَقَالَ يَأْمُرُنَا So he said, يَأْمُرُنَا يَعْنِي النَّبِيَّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وسلم, The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, he instructs us with what? بِالصَّلَاةِ وَالصِّدْقِ وَالْعَفَافِ He instructs us to perform the prayer, to be truthful, and also to be chaste. We learned this hadith very early on in this book, in Sahih Bukhari. The long hadith in which Hiraqa, he asked Abu Sufyan several questions. And one of the questions that he asked him was what? That what does Muhammad ﷺ teach you? What does he tell you to do? So Abu Sufyan, what did he reply? That he commands us to pray. Now when did the Prophet ﷺ command people? Hmm? When did he start commanding them? What was these teachings are referring to? The early teachings that the Prophet ﷺ brought. So basically this is referring to the early era in Mecca. One of the first instructions was what? To pray. One of the first things that the Prophet ﷺ taught was to pray salah. So this hadith, which Imam Bukhari does not mention in its entirety over here, just a portion, what does it prove? That the command to pray is one of the first ones and one of the most evident ones, meaning it's clear. And this is something that is clear to Muslims as well as non-Muslims. This is an undisputed fact that a Muslim prays. In Islam, we are required to pray salah. Now I have a question for you. The rest of the pillars of Islam when it comes to fasting, when it comes to hajj, when it comes to zakat, they were made mandatory, details were revealed where? After the hijrah. But when it comes to salah, it was revealed before the hijrah. Why? Okay, the Muslims didn't have much freedom then. 
they, they didn't have much authority at that time and they basically had to work on their own self-development. But doesn't fasting train you? Fasting also trains you, right? So why was it delayed? Why was salah made mandatory first? Because salah, if you think about it, what is it? It is a direct act of devotion and servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is an act of worship in which a person's body, his actions, his speech, his eyes, his movement, everything is in submissiveness. And because of this focus that salah demands from a person, it helps develop a connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the fact is that the connection that a person establishes with Allah through salah, it cannot be established with any other kind of worship. You cannot have that connection with Allah through any other act of worship. You cannot have it by charity. You cannot have it by, you know, having a very nice, you know, way of talking with people, a way of dealing with people. You cannot develop that through any other act of worship. What you get through salah, you cannot get it with any other act of worship. So to strengthen the iman, to develop trust upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, when we say, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ You alone we worship, you alone we ask for help. How can you develop this connection? Only with salah. This is the reason why it was made mandatory. And made mandatory very, very early. If you think about it in the Qur'an, so many times the Prophet ﷺ is told to ignore what the people say and instead do what? Sabbih. Wadkur. Right? Bil'ashiyyi wal-ibkar. Morning and evening. And what is it referring to? Salah. Because salah helps you develop a connection with Allah that no other act can develop. حدثنا يحيى بن بكير قال حدثنا الليث عن يونس عن ابن شهاب عن أنس بن مالك قال كان أبو ذر أنس بن مالك he said that Abu Dhar he used to يحدث he used to narrate أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال that the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم he said فرج it was opened up عن سقف بيتي the roof of my house وأنا بمكة while I was in مكة Meaning while he was still in Makkah, so basically this is referring to before Hijrah, what happened one night? That the roof of his house was opened up. You might say, how is that possible? It's not difficult to understand. If with one click, with one button, you can have your garage door open, right? Even though there is nothing physically connected to it, then why is it difficult for us to understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can cause the roof to open at that time? Of course He can. So فُرِجَ عَنْ سَقْفِ بَيْتِي وَأَنَا بِمَكَّةِ فَنَزَلَ جِبْرِيلُ So Jibreel descended. فَفَرَجَ صَدْرِي And he opened up my chest. ثُمَّ غَسَلَهُ Then he washed it. بِمَاءِ زَمْزَمْ With the water of Zamzam. ثُمَّ جَاءَ Then he came. بِطَسْتٍ With a basin, a bowl. مِنْ ذَهَبٍ Of gold. مُمْتَلِئٍ Which was filled up. With what? Hikmatan, with wisdom, wa imanan, and faith. That bowl, that gold basin, was filled with what? Iman, as well as hikmah. فَأَفْرَغَهُ fi sadri, And then he poured it in my chest. ثُمَّ أَطْبَقَهُ And then he closed it. Meaning my chest, he closed it. ثُمَّ أَخَذَ بِيَدِي Then he took my hand. فَعَرَجَ بِي إِلَى السَّمَاءِ الدُّنْيَا And then he ascended with me, meaning he took me, where? إِلَى السَّمَاءِ الدُّنْيَا To the sky of this world. فَلَمَّا جِئْتُ Now before we continue, 
there's one thing that we need to understand and be very clear about, that whatever we learn about the Isra and Miraj from the Qur'an, from the Hadith, remember that this is exactly as it has been mentioned. This is exactly as it has been mentioned. Things that are mentioned that we cannot fully understand. But at the end of the day, we believe in it. Because this is part of belief in the unseen. This is just as we believe in Allah, although we haven't seen Him. We believe in Jannah, although we haven't seen it. We believe in the angels, we believe in everything that Allah has mentioned, although we haven't seen it, we don't understand how it can happen physically. How it can happen, you know, according to the laws of physics that we know. But still, we believe in it. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us, the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told us. And over here, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, if you look, his chest was opened up. And then it was washed from inside. With what? Zamzam. And then it was adorned with what? Hikmah and ilm. Why? Because he was being prepared in order to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The thing is that before you go anywhere, before you meet anyone, don't you need to be physically prepared? And what is necessary for that preparation? Cleanliness as well as beautification. Tahara, purity, as well as adornment. Both of these things are necessary. And while our focus, majority of the time, is on the physical cleanliness and physical beautification, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from us is what? Inner cleanliness and inner beautification. And this is something that was done before the Prophet ﷺ was given the command to pray. So what does it mean? That before we pray, we also need to be clean and adorned. Both are requirements, prerequisites, cleanliness and beautification. So the Prophet ﷺ was taken up, إِلَى السَّمَاءِ الدُّنْيَا فَلَمَّا جِئْتُ إِلَى السَّمَاءِ الدُّنْيَا then when I came to the sky of the world, قَالَ Jibril, Jibril said, لِخَازِنِ السَّمَاءِ To the keeper of the sky, iftah, open. Open the gate. قَالَ مَنْ هَذَا The keeper, he asked, who is it? قَالَ هَذَا Jibril. He replied, this is Jibril. قَالَ هَلْ مَعَكَ أَحَدٌ The keeper asked, is there anyone with you? قَالَ نَعَمْ He said, yes. مَعِيَ مُحَمَّدٌ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ With me is Muhammad صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ فَقَالَ أُرْسِلَ إِلَيْهِ or أُرْسِلَ إِلَيْهِ He said, so has he been sent for? Meaning, why is he coming? Has he been sent for? قَالَ نَعَمْ Jibril said, yes. One thing I want you to notice over here. Even Muhammad wasallam could not go beyond the gate without permission. Jibril could not go without permission. The rules of isti'dan. Remember? Seeking permission before entering. They apply in the heavens as well. The Prophet ﷺ was not exempted. Then how can we exempt ourselves? When we go to an office or to someone's private residence or something and we exempt ourselves and we open the door and walk in. Or without announcing our presence, without taking permission, we walk in. Thinking that it's okay. It's not okay. If it was not okay for Muhammad ﷺ to go without permission, then how can it be okay for us? Rules are for everyone. And notice the angel, the keeper, that he asked, who is it? Is there anyone with you? Has he been sent for? Because, يَفْعَلُونَ مَا يُؤْمَرُونَ They only do whatever they are commanded. It doesn't matter who they're dealing with. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded them something, they will follow the rules.
فَلَمَّا فَتَحَ Then when it opened, عَلَوْنَ السَّمَاءَ الدُّنْيَا We ascended, we climbed above the lowest heaven, meaning the sky of the dunya. فَإِذَا رَجُلٌ So when they crossed the first heaven, what did they see? فَإِذَا رَجُلٌ Then there was a man, قَاعِدٌ عَلَى يَمِينِهِ أَسْوِدَةٌ قَاعِدٌ who was sitting. So a man was sitting, and عَلَى يَمِينِهِ أَسْوِدَةٌ On his right were أَسْوِدَة أَسْوِدَة This means groups of people. Okay, it's on the, on the wazan of azmina. And it means groups of people. So on his right were groups. وَعَلَى يَسَارِهِ أَسْوِدَ And on his left were, were also groups. Meaning many, many people on his right, many people on his left. إِذَا نَظَرَ When he looked at قِبَلَ يَمِينِهِ When he looked in the direction of his right, ضَحِكَ He laughed. وَإِذَا نَظَرَ And when he looked at قِبَلَ يَسَارِهِ Towards his left, Baka, he wept. Fakala, then when he saw Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa that man who was sitting, who was crying and also laughing, he said, Marhaban, welcome, bin Nabi salih, the righteous prophet, wal ibn salih, and the righteous son. Qultul Jibreel, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa he said, I said to Jibreel, man hadha, who is this man? Qala hadha Adam. He said, this is Adam. وَهَذِهِ الْأَسْوِدَةُ And these are groups عَنْ يَمِينِهِ وَشِمَالِهِ On his right and on his left. These groups are what? نَسَمُ The souls of بَنِيهِ Of his children. The word نَسَم is the plural of نِسْمَ or نَسِمَ with a tamar بُتَاتِيَن And it means ruh. So نَسَم, what are they? أَرْوَاح So he said, these are the souls. Of who? Of his children. فَأَهْلُ الْيَمِينِ مِنْهُمْ Ahlul Jannah. So the people of the right, who are they? The people of Jannah. And over here the word minhum, what does it mean? From the meaning, the people of the right, some of them are the people of Jannah. Hmm? Amongst them, mean the same thing. Remember min is of different kinds? Sometimes it gives the meaning of ba'd, some of, and sometimes it is of bayan. And bayan means, meaning this, meaning. So, فَأَهْلُ الْيَمِينِ مِنْهُمْ أَهْلُ الْجَنَّةِ So the people of the right, they are the people of Jannah. وَالْأَسْوِدَةُ الَّتِي عَنْ شِمَالِهِ And the groups that are on his left, أَهْلُ النَّارِ They are the people of the fire. فَإِذَا نَظَرَ عَنْ يَمِينِهِ ضَحِكَ So when he looks at the people on his right, he laughs. وَإِذَا نَظَرَ And when he looks at قِبَلَ شِمَالِهِ بَكَ When he looked at the people on his left, he wept. What does it show? The love that Adam had for his children. That those who make it to Jannah, he's so happy that he laughed. And those who will make it to Hellfire, he was so sad that he wept. Adam loved his children, wanted the best for them. And then what happened? They continued on their journey until Jibreel ascended with me, meaning he took the Prophet up to the second sky. فَقَالَ لِخَازِنِهَا So he said to its keeper, Iftah, open the gate. فَقَالَ لَهُ خَازِنُهَا مِثْلَ مَا قَالَ الْأَوَّلِ So similar to what the first one had said, he said the same thing, meaning the same conversation took place. فَفَتَحَ And then eventually he opened the gate. قَالَ أَنَسٌ أَنَسَ said, فَذَكَرَ أَنَّهُ وَجَدَ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ So he mentioned, meaning the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that he found in the skies, meaning he met, he came across who? Adam. وَإِدْرِيسِ وَمُوسَى وَعِيسَى وَإِبْرَاهِيمِ صَلَوَاتُ اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ Meaning all of these prophets, he saw them, he came across them. وَلَمْ يُسْبِتْ And he did not specify 
كَيْفَ مَنَازِلُهُمْ How were their positions? Meaning he did not specify as to which prophet he saw in which sky, in which level. غَيْرَ Except that أَنَّهُ ذَكَرَ That he mentioned that أَنَّهُ وَجَدَ آدَمَ فِي السَّمَاءِ الدُّنْيَا That he found Adam in the lowest one وَإِبْرَاهِيمَ فِي السَّمَاءِ السَّادِسَ And that he found, he met Ibrahim a.s. where? On the sixth heaven. قَالَ أَنَسٌ Anas said فَلَمَّا مَرَّ جِبْرِيلُ بِالنَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ بِإِدْرِيسَ So when Jibreel, he went by along with the Prophet sallallahu who? He went by Idris. Meaning when they, when they went by Idris, when they came across him, Qala, he said, Idris alayhi salam, he said, Marhaban bin Nabi salih wal akhi salih. He said, welcome, O oh, righteous prophet and O oh, righteous brother. Why does he say brother? Because both are from the children of Adam, okay? Okay, they have the same aqidah, yes? But Idris is saying, Akhid Salih. Why? Because all of the prophets, their example is like what? That they are brothers, but their mothers are different. Remember the hadith in which we learn about the aqidah being the same, but the, but the sharia being different. The law being different, but the main message being the same. So they are like brothers, all of them. So, wal Akhid Salih. فَقُلْتُ مَنْ هَذَا so the Prophet ﷺ again said, Who is this man? قَالَ هَذَا إِدْرِيسِ Jibreel replied, This is Idris. ثُمَّ مَرَرْتُ بِمُوسَى Then I went by Musa ﷺ. فَقَالَ مَرْحَبًا بِالنَّبِيِّ الصَّالِحِ وَالْأَخِ الصَّالِحِ He called him brother again, because both were prophets. قُلْتُ مَنْ هَذَا قَالَ هَذَا مُوسَى Amazing, the Prophet ﷺ didn't recognize any of them. And what does it show? That he did not possess the knowledge of the unseen. He only knew what Allah taught him. ثُمَّ مَرَرْتُ بِعِيسَى Then I went by Isa a.s. فَقَالَ مَرْحَبًا بِالْأَخِ الصَّالِحِ وَالنَّبِيِّ الصَّالِحِ Same thing. قُلْتُ مَنْ هَذَا قَالَ هَذَا عِيسَى He said this is Isa. ثُمَّ مَرَرْتُ بِإِبْرَاهِيمَ Then I went by Ibrahim a.s. فَقَالَ مَرْحَبًا بِالنَّبِيِّ الصَّالِحِ وَالْإِبْنِ الصَّالِحِ Ibrahim a.s. called him son. Why? Because Muhammad was also from his descendants from his progeny. قُلْتُ مَنْ هَذَا The Prophet ﷺ asked, Who is this man? قَالَ هَذَا إِبْرَاهِيمُ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ Jibreel said, This is Ibrahim ﷺ. قَالَ ابْنُ شِهَابٍ Ibn Shihab, he said, فَأَخْبَرَنِي إِبْنُ حَزْمٍ Ibn Hazm mentioned to me, he informed me, أَنَّ ابْنَ عَبَّاسٍ وَأَبَا حَبَّةَ الْأَنصَارِيَّةِ That both of these they would say, "Kana yaqulani." They both would say, "Qala Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam." The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said at this point, "Thumma urijabi." Then he took me up. I was taken up. Hatta zahartu until I appeared li mustawan on a high plateau. Mustawan is what a place that is smooth but also high. Asma'u fihi. I could hear in it sarif al-aqlami. Sarif. What does sarif mean? The scratching of pens when they're being used to write with. Have you ever heard that sound? So he said, until I could hear the sarif of al-aqlam, of the pens. What does it refer to? The angels that are writing. Writing what? Whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told them. Whether it is the decree or the Quran or whatever. So basically, he was taken up to a very, very high level. قَالَ بْنُ حَزْبٍ وَأَنَسُ بْنُ مَالِكٍ قَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ So the Prophet ﷺ, he said that at this point, when I had reached this high level, فَفَرَضَ اللَّهُ عَلَىٰ أُمَّتِي خَمْسِينَ صَلَاةً That Allah ordered, He obligated on my ummah 50 prayers. 
So he received the command to pray. But how many prayers? 50 prayers in the day and the night. Within 24 hours, these many prayers. So basically the Prophet ﷺ was called up to this high station and then he was given the command. فَرَجَعْتُ بِذَلِكَ Then I returned with that. حَتَّى مَرَرْتُ عَلَى مُوسَى Until I passed by Musa. فَقَالَ مَا فَرَضَ اللَّهُ لَكَ عَلَى أُمَّتِكَ So he asked, what has Allah obligated for you on your ummah? قُلْتُ I said, فَرَضَ خَمْسِينَ صَلَاةً He has obligated 50 prayers. قَالَ فَرْجِعْ إِلَى رَبِّكَ He said, return to your Lord. فَإِنَّ أُمَّتَكَ لَا تُطِيقُ ذَلِكَ Because your ummah, your people, they don't have the strength for that. They won't be able to perform 50 prayers. فَرَاجَعْتُ So, I returned. The Prophet ﷺ is saying, I went back. فَوَضَعَ شَطْرَهَا So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He removed شَطْرَهَا, a portion of it. And this, some scholars have said, He reduced it to half. فَرَجَعْتُ إِلَى مُوسَى قُلْتُ وَضَعَ شَطْرَهَا So I returned to Musa and I told him, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has removed a part of it, meaning He has reduced it to almost half. فَقَالَ رَاجِعْ رَبَّكْ he said, return to your Lord. فَإِنَّ أُمَّتَكَ لَا تُطِيقُ For your nation will not be able to do it. Even if it's 25 prayers, they won't be able to do so. فَرَاجَعْتُ فَوَضَعَ شَطْرَهَا So I returned until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removed a further portion of it. فَرَجَعْتُ إِلَيْهِ فَقَالَ إِرْجِعْ إِلَى رَبِّكَ So I returned to Musa, and Musa alayhi salam again said, return to your Lord. فَإِنَّ أُمَّتَكَ لَا تُطِيقُ ذَلِكَ For your nation will not be able to do so. فَرَاجَعْتُهُ So I returned again. فَقَالَ هِيَ خَمْسٌ So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reduced it to how many? Five. And he said, وَهِيَ خَمْسٌ They are five, but they will be equal to fifty. And Allah said at that time, لَا يُبَدَّلُ الْقَوْلُ لَدَيَّ The word is not changed near me. Meaning what I have said, that will not be changed. فَرَجَعْتُ إِلَى مُوسَى So I returned to Musa. فَقَالَ رَاجِعْ رَبَّكَ He said, no, go back to your Lord. فَقُلْتُ So the Prophet ﷺ said, I said, إِسْتَحْيَيْتُ مِنْ رَبِّي I am shy of my Lord. Why was he shy? Hmm? He felt bad asking again and again? But aren't we encouraged to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again and again? You can beg. Allah as much as you want. When, when it comes to begging before people, that's something that's condemned. But when it comes to Allah, you can ask again and again and again as much as you want. In the hadith, don't we learn? That Allah says, all of the men and the jinn were to ask of me and I would grant every wish that would not reduce in my treasures. So why did he feel shy? Yes, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving the gift of prayer and that he felt shy asking it to be reduced even more. Okay? That when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, لَا يُبَدَّلُ الْقَوْلُ Then what is necessary? Accept it. Even if it seems difficult, accept it. Because sometimes what happens? That we want things to be our way. Sometimes it happens, right? And we insist, we insist, we insist. But eventually a point comes where we have to accept it. Because if we go any further, that is not correct. Because see, especially with, in the matter of dealing with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this would be against shukr. Because at this point, we should be grateful that Allah is giving us the gift of prayer, an act of worship that He loves so much. And if the Prophet ﷺ would insist more, that no, reduce it even more, this would be against shukr. What is gratitude? Accept it as it is. And if you insist on its 
reduction or it being changed, then that would be contrary to shukr. That when Allah said there are five, but they're equivalent to 50 in reward, then how can you ask for a further reduction? Also, one more thing, that if you think about it after that the rate at which it was being reduced, 50 down to 25, down to 10, and then down to 5, what would be next? Zero. So the Prophet ﷺ felt shy. He didn't ask that it be changed. That the Prophet ﷺ was given wisdom. His heart was filled with hikmah before he was taken up. So that hikmah was applied. That was part of the qadr. It was something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had already decreed. Now one question. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave 50 prayers. And Musa salam is saying that your people cannot do it. I mean, doesn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala know? لَا يُكَلِّفُ اللَّهُ نَفْسًا إِلَّا وُسْعَهَا So why is it that he gave 50? Of course, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the knowledge, but Musa salam kept insisting that your people won't be able to do it. And it was requested to be reduced, and it was reduced. So why didn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala simply give five prayers at the beginning? Why? What's the benefit in this? Because this whole back and forth, what does it show? More of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy. More of His favor. The fact that He initially gave 50, and every request was accepted. Right? The number was reduced until it became 5. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that is equivalent to 50. So it shows more of Allah's mercy. It shows how much ease Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made for us. Right? And how generous he is in rewarding people. Exactly. It increases the value of those five prayers and it increases us in valuing these five prayers, that they're so valuable to us. They're five, but they're equivalent to 50. And then we are grateful for five because we realize how difficult it would be to pray 50. Very good point that each salah is equal to Ten prayers. And that shows to us that how well we should perform every prayer because it should bring the reward of ten prayers. And this teaches us another important lesson that if Allah had given us a command to pray fifty times a day, that means that it is possible for us to remember Him fifty times a day. Yes, the method may be different, but it is humanly possible for us to remember Allah fifty times a day, to ask Him, to pray to Him at least fifty times a day. Don't we learn that the Prophet ﷺ would seek Allah's forgiveness how many times? At least 70 to 100 times. How often he would remember Allah? How often he would ask Allah for his mercy? So this shows that we should remember Allah more and more throughout the day. If you divide 24 hours by 50, that would mean that every 24 minutes, right? we would have to pray one salah. So basically, every half an hour, we should be remembering Allah. Yes, we should be very grateful to Musa a.s. Because if it was 50 prayers, like the way they are prescribed now, it would be very difficult for us. And Musa a.s., why did he insist for them to be reduced? Because of his experience with Bani Israel. And if back then, this was the state of Bani Israel afterwards, you know, what would he expect? And in the Quran we learn, مَنْ جَاءَ بِالْحَسَنَةِ فَلَهُ عَشْرُ Whoever brings one hasana for him are ten. Then he took me. Then they both continued. Hatta until intahabi, until he brought me, meaning he stopped with me, he brought me ila sidratil muntaha to the low tree of the boundary, 
وَغَشِيَهَا أَلْوَانٌ And alwan, colors, had covered it. Covered what? Tidra. This tree, the Lord tree, was covered with alwanun la adri mahiya. I don't know what they were. Something, some color that cannot be described in words. Some color that is not found on this planet. La adri mahiya. Summa udkhiltul jannah. Then I was made to enter jannah. Meaning he was shown jannah. Faida fiha habayilul lu'lu. Then there were in jannah strings, habayil, from habl. Strings of al-lu'lu, pearls. وَإِذَا تُرَابُهَا And its and its soil, its earth, was made of al-misk. It was made of misk. So he was made to see Jannah as well. And what he mentioned of that Jannah is what? Strings of pearls and its mud, its earth, was musk. What is musk? It's a fragrance. When we think of musk, we think of some liquid. So then you wonder, how can the ground be of liquid? What does it mean? Okay, it can be a powder. You know what musk is actually derived from? Does anyone know? There are basically two kinds of musk. One is musk that is secreted by a gland in the abdomen of the male musk deer. There is a deer known as a musk deer. And there is a gland in its abdomen which secretes musk. In its original form, it is very... You can say it, it doesn't smell that good, but when it's diluted, that is when the fragrance comes. And the gland, when you open it, the substance, the, the particles that are in it, that actually look like mud. I have a picture here that I can show you, if you can see. This is the gland, and when you open it, this is the original substance, okay? And then there is also plant-derived musk, which, if you look at it, the seeds... Even that looks like mud. So this is what musk is. This is what it's derived from. And imagine if the whole soil is like that, how fragrant it would be. So the Prophet ﷺ described the soil of Jannah as musk. That it's full of fragrance. This is how beautiful Jannah is. Pearls and fragrance. And there's something that we love, right? Especially women. Fragrance and jewelry. This is something that women love. How beautiful is Jannah? And that is something that we have to aspire for. Now, back to the question that I asked at the beginning, that all of the commands were sent down, but for Salah, the Prophet ﷺ was brought up. Why? He was taken out of his comfort, in the middle of the night, washed, adorned, filled with iman, brought to meet his Lord, made to have a conversation with Allah, and then given the command to pray. And this is what salah is. You have to stop what you're doing, get out of your comfort, wash up, have iman, and then stand before your Lord and converse with Him. Speak to Him. Meet Him. And the more often we meet Him, the better we meet Him, the better our meeting will be with Him in the hereafter. So salah is basically a preparation for the meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You talk to him now, so that you can actually talk to him and hear him later. That five are obligatory prayers. And beyond that, it's up to a person how much ever he wants to pray. The more he prays, the more he meets Allah. This is the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prescribed for meeting him. That any kind of meeting we want to have in this world, we have to prepare for it. 
physically, mentally, in every way. Only then can that meeting be good. So when it comes to meeting Allah, again, that requires preparation. Any distraction. That salah makes you stop everything and, and focus on Allah. Pay attention to Him. Because Musa a.s. He had experience with Bani Israel. He knew that if the people are told to pray 50 times a day, they will not be able to. He knew from his experience with dealing with people. Think about it. When it comes to certain adhkar, which we're supposed to say, you know, a hundred times, for example, La ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lalahul mulku walahul hamd wa huwa ala kulli shayin qadir. A hundred times a day. Are you able to do it? Hmm? You are able to. But you really have to focus and you have to make up your mind that I am going to do it. You time yourself, you make yourself do it. Didn't you know of this before as well? This before a week ago? You knew about it, right? But were we doing it that regularly? No. Why? Because to do something a hundred times a day, that itself is daunting. You know, when it comes to any book of adhkar or anything, that at the end they've mentioned saying this hundred times, for example, subhanAllah, bihamdi. you just stop there. Like, yeah, I'll say it. The number 100, the number 50, the number 10, the number 7, that itself scares you. And you're like, yeah, I'll do it later. And that later never comes. So 50 itself is a big number. So this is why Musa salam said, that go and have it reduced. It's not going to be possible for the people. The Bani Israel had to stop everything on Saturday and just focus on prayer. And even that they could not observe properly. One day out of the whole week they could not observe properly. So obviously 50 times a day, not possible. But you know, this discussion, yes, it's necessary. Okay, it's not the focus. The main thing that we learn over here is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called the Prophet ﷺ up in the heavens, gave him the gift of prayer. Initially it was 50, reduced to 5. But Allah with His generosity rewards 5 equal to 50. It's a gift. So we should be grateful for it. We should accept it and try our best to perform the salah in the best way, prepare for it, truly make it a meeting with Allah. Because the benefits of salah are unique. Again, like I mentioned earlier, you cannot establish a connection with Allah through any other act of worship the way you can with salah. What you experience through prayer, you cannot experience through anything else. This is why it is mandatory. This is why you have to pray five times a day. Hajj comes once a year. Zakat is once a year. Fasting is one month a year. But salah, every day, five times a day. Because it is very important for your iman. It is very important for your meeting with Allah. If you can't meet Him now, if you can't stop and talk to Him now, then how can we talk to Him then? حدثنا عبد الله بن يوسف قال أخبرنا مالك عن صالح بن كيسان عن عروة بن الزبير عن عائشة أم المؤمنين قالت عائشة ضلوا عنها she said فرض الله الصلاة الله سبحانه وتعالى made salah mandatory حين فرضها when he made it mandatory meaning at the time when he made it mandatory how did he make it mandatory ركعتين ركعتين two ركعات two ركعات meaning only two units of prayer why did she say ركعتين ركعتين to clarify that it was raka'atain for every salah. Fajr two, zuhr two, asr two, except for maghrib, which we learn in another narration, that was three. But isha two. So all of the prayers, how many? Raka'atain, raka'atain. Fil hadari was safari. At home and also on journey. Meaning whether a person was traveling or he was at home. 
regardless wherever he was whenever it came time to pray how much would he pray two fa uqirrat salatu safari then the salah of travel was kept the same meaning two wazida fi salat al-hadr and the salah of hadr that was increased so zuhur asr and isha they were increased from two to four so what do we learn over here that in makkah salah was made mandatory very early on because the incident of isra miraj when did that take place in makkah it was before the hijra and the muslims they would pray how many units two and they would pray at the designated times because obviously in the isra five prayers were given right and those five were to be performed at their designated times and we learn of this in the quran as well where allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says wa aqimis salata at-tarafayi an-nahari wa zulufan min al-layl aqimis salata lidulukis shamsi ila ghasaq al-layl this is surah hud surah isra they're makki what do we learn establish prayer at the decline of the sun until the darkness of the night and also quran at fajr at the two ends of the day so what is it referring to the five prayers right so the times were specified also in makkah however after the hijra the quantity the number was increased meaning the units of prayer the rak'at they were increased in another hadith we learn Aisha radhiyallahu anha she said furidat as-salatu rak'atayn thumma hajara an-nabiy sallallahu alayhi wasallam fa furidat arba'an that salah was made mandatory how many as two units of prayer then the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam migrated and then they were increased to four now this does not contradict the statement of allah with regards to the prayer in safar wa idha dhalabtum fil ardi fa laysa alaykum junahun an taqsuru min as-salah that there's no harm if you reduce the prayer it doesn't mean that this is a contradiction that it seems from the ayah that that reduction in in safar was revealed later okay it seems like originally the muslims had to pray four and when they had to travel they were allowed to reduce this is not what the meaning is the meaning is that initially it was all two after hijra it was increased to four but for safar it was kept two okay abwab as-salati fi thiyab the book of clothing in prayer you have a bab wujub as-salati fi thiyab the thing is that kitab as-salah itself is very very long and in some versions of bukhari you will find that from this point onwards there are subsections okay so basically abwab are combined together so all of the abwab concerning clothing they are mentioned first which is why bab wujub as-salati fi thiyab and then after this section which is related to clothing they will be followed by qibla which will be followed by the mosque which will be followed by sutra mawaqit adhan congregation and then eventually the description of prayer in some versions you will find that they are categorized and in some they are not so from this point onwards all of the abwab are related to the clothing in prayer now all of a sudden clothing why because it's one of the first things that a person has to know in order to pray we learned about tahara after tahara you have to know about the obligation of salah okay salah is obligatory it's understood now after that clothes so bab wujub as-salati fi thiyab the obligation of wearing clothes when praying meaning salah is not valid unless a person is wearing clothes what's the evidence wa qawlillahi ta'ala the statement of allah khudhu zinatakum 'inda kulli masjid wear clothing in every masjid 
What does it mean by masjid over here? Prayer. Because obviously, the purpose of going to the masjid is what? To perform salah. And zina, what does zina mean? Siyab, clothes. Because what beautifies a human being is what? It is his clothes. Without clothes, he's not beautiful. If you think about it, all the other animals, they have some kind of fur, feathers, or something or the other that beautifies, that hides them, that covers them, and also adorns them. But the human being has not been created with anything like that. So he has to wear clothes for the purpose of covering and for the purpose of beautification. So zina over here means clothes. Allah says, قُلْ مَنْ زِينَةَ اللَّهِ الَّتِي أَخْرَجَ لِعِبَادِهِ Zina over there also means clothes. And remember that the zina of every people is what they wear. Meaning it is unique. So what is considered beautiful with regards to clothes in one community may not be considered beautiful with regards to clothes in another community. So each nation, each people has their own zina, meaning have their own clothing, their own way of clothing. So in some cultures it is three pieces, in some cultures it is two, others it could be one, whatever. With a headpiece, without a headpiece, whatever. But the zina of every people is what they wear. So khudu zinatakum, what does it mean? Put on your clothes. Whatever that you wear. Okay, you have to wear that when in the kulli masjid. Obviously, it has conditions. And what are they? That it should not be too short. It should be covering the body. And it should not be see-through. Likewise, it should not be so tight that the body is being exposed. So, خُذُوا زِينَتَكُمْ عِنْدَ كُلِّ مَسْجِدْ This shows that a person has to wear clothes when he is praying. Salah. Does this mean that he has to wear beautiful and fine clothes for salah? Because Allah says, خُذُوا زِينَتَكُمْ No. Because zina over here means clothes. It has been called zina because that is what adorns people. Because we see that in the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, he only wore fine clothes at which occasions? Jumu'ah and Eid. Eidain. Not for every single prayer. It is good that you wear nice clothes, but you shouldn't make it a burden upon yourself. Definitely it has an impact on your prayer if you're dressed nicely. Right? You, you, you feel that when you're dressed properly, your attitude changes. Your mood changes. And if you're dressed in your pajamas, then you have a completely different attitude. So, it has an effect on you, but remember, it is not mandatory to wear fine and beautiful clothing in prayer. Required clothing should be worn. And kulli masjid, in the kulli masjid, kulli masjid means prayer, like I mentioned earlier. And the word for the place or time of prayer, the act of prayer is referred to with sajda, masjid. Masjid is from sajda, right? Why? Because it is the position in which a person is closest to his Lord. And it is only appropriate that at this time he is covered properly. Meaning when a person is doing sajda, when a person is performing salah, he is meeting Allah. He is speaking to Allah. He is close to Allah. So at this time he should be dressed. He should be wearing clothes. So, wujubi salati fithiyab. The obligation of performing prayer in clothes. Meaning you have to wear clothes when praying. وَمَنْ صَلَّى And whoever prayed, مُلْتَحِفًا فِي ثَوْبٍ وَاحِدٍ مُلْتَحِفًا meaning wrapped up. It is from lihaf. لَا يَسْأَلُونَ النَّاسَ إِلْحَافًا What does ilhaf mean? Like clinging on to people. Right? Lihaf, blanket. So multahif, one that is wrapped up. So whoever prays while he is wrapped in 
a single cloth. Meaning he doesn't have two pieces to wrap one piece to cover his lower uh, part of the body with and another piece to cover his upper part of the body with. He has only one piece of cloth. So what does he do? He wraps it around his body. Can he pray? Yes, he can. As long as he is covered. Because the objective is achieved. The body has to be covered. If it can be covered with one cloth, that's sufficient. That is enough. But remember that this iltihaf should not prevent a person from performing the salah properly. You have to be able to move. Because sometimes it happens that we wear such a hijab okay, that is covering us from head to toe and it's it doesn't have any armholes in it. Alright? Then what we do is we we have you know so much of it on our arms and then it's so difficult to move around. So don't wear such a thing. Because your clothes should not prevent you from performing the salah properly. Likewise, if they're too short, then what will happen if you bow down or something? The body will be exposed. You won't be able to raise your arms easily. If you lift up your arm, you know, your chest might show or, or your stomach might show. So sometimes it happens that sometimes women are wearing short sleeves underneath and they wear a shawl or a scarf that barely covers their arms and then they're not able to move their arms up when saying takbir. Or in rukur, they cannot stretch out their arms properly. Why? Because if they do it, their arms will be exposed. So, yes, you can wrap yourself up with one cloth, but you have to make sure that the movement is comfortable. It's possible. It will not prevent you from performing the salah properly. وَيُذْكَرُ عَنْ سَلَمَةَ إِبْنِ الْأَكْوَعِ And it was mentioned from Salama bin Akwar, أَنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ قَالَ That the Messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم, he said, يَزُرُّهُ That a person who has only one piece of cloth, what should he do? He should fasten it. وَلَوْ بِشَوْكَ even with only a thorn. A thorn, you can say a pin. Okay, now you would use a pin. So if a person has only one garment, and he's using that to cover his body, one sheet, and he's using that to cover his body, he shouldn't just wrap it around and leave it. No, he should tie it up, he should fasten it with a pin or something, so that it doesn't open up. Because sometimes it happens that you wear a very slippery shawl, okay, or a scarf, and you wrap it around your head, and you just tuck it in, and as you go down into Rukur and you stand up, it opens up and it falls off. So your whole salah is ruined. Your entire focus in prayer is on what? Adjusting your scarf. So the Prophet ﷺ said to the one who had only one garment to cover his body with, that he should fasten it. Why? It will give you peace of mind. Okay? You can actually relax in prayer. You can focus in prayer. Alright? You can, you can have khushur. Fi isnadihi nazar. Imam Bukhari, he says that this isnad needs to be studied. Meaning, this isnad is not 100% authentic according to the criteria of Imam Bukhari. Now, this is something very strange. We thought the collection of Imam Bukhari is, is full of all authentic narrations. And here is a narration at the end of which Imam Bukhari says, Fi What does this mean? The thing is that in Sahih Bukhari, Imam Bukhari has collected a hadith. And you know that he has also arranged them in a particular order. He has given titles. He has basically used the hadith to prove certain things. So it's not just a book of hadith. It's a book of fiqh also, you can say. It's a book of aqidah as well, you can say. It's a book of, of many, many sciences. All right? And to support the point that he is proving, Imam Bukhari would use statements of the scholars, like we have seen. Also, the verses of the Qur'an. And sometimes, مُعَلَّقْ riwayat as well. 
narrations that are mu'allaq, meaning that are not narrated with a chain, that are not recorded with a chain of narrators. And sometimes he also used a hadith which were not authentic according to his criteria, but were authentic according to other scholars, according to their criteria. But the hadith that he recorded, they are mentioned with the chain. And that is what you read afterwards. Haddathana, akhbarana, where the whole chain is mentioned, that is the hadith that is authentic that Imam Bukhari is recording in his book. وَمَنْ صَلَّى فِي الثَّوْبِ الَّذِي يُجَامِعُ فِيهِ مَا لَمْ يَرَى أَذَنْ وَمَنْ And with regards to the one who prays, فِي الثَّوْبِ includes الَّذِي يُجَامِعُ فِيهِ in which he had intercourse in. Meaning he was wearing those clothes when he had jima' مَا لَمْ يَرَى As long as he does not see أَذَنْ any impurity on it. Because Imam Bukhari, he seems to have the opinion that money was najis, other scholars differed, but he seemed to have the opinion that money is najis. So if there is money on the clothes, can a person pray? According to him, no. But if a person had certain clothes on at this time, and there's no impurity on those clothes, can he pray in those clothes? Can she pray in those clothes? Yes. This is just like we learned earlier, that if a woman is wearing certain clothes during her hayd, and there's no blood on them, no najasa on them, can she wear those clothes later on? And pray in them? Yes, she can. Because remember that clothes are either clean or unclean. Just like we learned about water, it's either clean or unclean. If it's clean, that means that it doesn't have any najasa on it. When it's free of najasa, then that means you can pray in it. Okay, you may not feel 100% comfortable about it. That's your choice. But if you were in a position where you didn't have extra clothes at that point, let's say you're traveling. You don't have more clothes at that point. There is no najasa on those clothes. Can you pray in them? Yes, you can. Because you have to pray in clothes. Okay? You cannot pray without them. You cannot have your, your aura, your body being exposed. So you have to pray in clothes. And salah, you have to perform it as well. You can't, you can't leave it. You have no reason to leave it. وَأَمَرَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ and the Prophet ﷺ, he commanded, Allah يَطُوفَ بِالْبَيْتِ عُرْيَانٌ That a person should not do tawaf of the house, meaning of the Kaaba, عُرْيَانٌ, naked. And this was an instruction that he gave on Fath Makkah. When Makkah was conquered, he made it very clear that no one will perform the tawaf of the Kaaba naked from this point onwards. Because the Arabs, they would perform tawaf without clothes. Why? What was their logic? What was their reasoning? They would say that these clothes, we sin in them. So how can we do tawaf while wearing clothes in which we have committed sin? Or they would say that you can only perform tawaf of the Kaaba while wearing those clothes that are from Makkah. So if an outsider came to Makkah, he would borrow clothes from the people of Makkah or buy them or whatever and then perform tawaf. But if he was not able to, then he would remove his clothes and perform naked. Why is Imam Bukhari mentioning this over here? What's the point of this? What's the connection with salah? Tawaf is like salah. If tawaf requires clothes, salah requires clothes. And if you think about it, salah is greater than tawaf. Salah is mandatory, tawaf is not. Except for the person who's doing umrah or hajj. So if tawaf demands clothes, then salah demands even more. If for tawaf you have to wear clothes, then it is more befitting that for salah you have to. 
that no matter what, a person has to wear clothes. If they're unclean, purify them. If you have only one, wear that. Whatever you have, you have to cover the body. Because like I said earlier, sajda, you're close to Allah, you're talking to Allah, so you have to be dressed appropriately. حدثنا موسى بن إسماعيل قال حدثنا يزيد بن إبراهيم عن محمد عن أم عطية قالت she said أمرنا أن نخرج الحيضة يوم العيدين وذوات الخدو we have learned this hadith earlier أم عطية she said that we were ordered to bring out the menstruating women and veiled women who are they? the veiled women the young girls who were ready for marriage so they would veil them and cover them in the houses and not let them go out but they were told that you have to bring them out when? On the day of Eid. On the day of Eid, you have to bring them out. Why? فَيَشْهَدْنَ جَمَاعَةَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَدَعْوَتَهُمْ So that they should be present, they should witness the congregation of the Muslims and also their dua. The dua that they make, they should be a part of it. وَيَعْتَزِلُ الْحُيَّضُ عَنْ مُصَلَّهُنْ Those who are not praying, the menstruating women, they should keep away from the place of prayer, because they're not praying. So they should simply keep aside. قالت امرأة, a woman said, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah, إِحْدَانَا لَيْسَ لَهَا جلباب. One of us doesn't have a jilbab. If one of us doesn't have it, then still we have to come out. قال, he said, لِتُلْبِسْهَا صَاحِبَتُهَا مِنْ جِلْبَابِهَا لِتُلْبِسْهَا She should clothe her. Who? صَاحِبَتُهَا Her friend, مِنْ جِلْبَابِهَا From her jilbab. Meaning, the one who has jilbab should put a part of it on her friend. They should share it. And they should come to the place of prayer and perform salah. Why is this hadith mentioned? What's the connection over here? Hmm? No excuse for not wearing clothes. First of all, you're not exempted from prayer. All the women were told, Eid, you have to come out and pray with everybody in congregation. Even if a woman does not have jilbab, yes, even if she doesn't have it, then what will she do? How will she pray? She will share it with a friend of hers. And jilbab, what is it? It is the clothing that is the shawl or whatever that is worn on top of your regular clothes. Alright? It covers the head as well as the rest of the body. Okay? It's not just the clothes that you're wearing, it's the sheet that you wear on top of your regular clothes that will cover your head as well as the rest of the body. And later on for ease, for convenience, it was made into two pieces. In some places it's still one whatever. So the point is that when a woman is praying also, she has to be covered as well. There are still some places where there is space for women. So look for those places. Yes, you have to go. Because in some countries, in Muslim countries, we see that there are no places that are designated for women to perform Eid Salah in. And this is true. This is a reality. So what what should the women do? Not go? No, find out a place where there are accommodations and inshallah you will find Okay, But obviously, if such a place is not found far and wide, then what can you do? You can't go. Unless you have the guts to go and stand behind the men. But this is in general. This is in general. Women who are praying and not praying, everyone has to go. And if a woman does not have jilbab, it's not necessarily talking about a menstruating woman. It's talking about any woman who has to pray or not pray. The thing is that at home, your sister can pray first and then you can take the scarf and put it on and pray. Right? You can take turns. But when you're going out, you're all going at the same time. So when you're going at the same time, that means everybody has to be covered at the same time. If there are five women, but one hijab that is shared, then what will be done? Your question is, that does a woman need to wear a jilbab in order to pray? No. 
You don't have to put your abaya on in order to pray. As long as your clothes are satir, they're covering the body, they are not exposing your body, you can pray. And they're not so short. From another hadith, we learned that a man, he had a dress or something, and the Prophet ﷺ, he asked if he could give it to his wife. The Prophet ﷺ said, no, because it's too short. Because he felt that it would be too short and her back would be exposed. So from this, the scholars have derived that the blouse that a woman wears should be long enough to cover even around the house in order to pray. It should be something that covers, you know, at least mid-thigh up until that point. That how big their jilbab, jalabib must have been and how, how spacious they were in their hearts as well to share with other women. No, this means that your jilbab, your big shawl that you have, put it on your head and put it on your friend's head and both walk together. It's like when you have an umbrella, okay? Two people walk under one umbrella, just like that you walk under the same jilbab. Clothes have to be proper for salah because it happens that at the time of sajda, when a person is closest to his or her Lord, then what happens? Because a shirt is short, the back is exposed. Or the hijab is not tied properly, is not pinned, and so what happens? It falls off. So this is why we have to pay attention to proper clothing. So to summarize everything that we have learned with regards to clothing, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? First of all, make sure that the entire body is covered. Inshallah, we will learn more about how much is the bare minimum that has to be covered. For men, it is different. For women, it is different. But cover the entire body. Make sure that you can move comfortably in it. And also, obviously, it should be clean. And if it's a one loose cloth that you're wearing on your head, like a shawl or a scarf, then it should be pinned with something. Pinned with something. Don't just tuck it in, but pin it so that it doesn't open. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.